a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. If I was an Italian and my name was Pietro, what would it be in English? Peter, good. Um, And if I was... Scandinavian, and my name was Johan, what would my name be in English? Good. And if, if I was Spanish, and my name was Jose, what would my name be? Yes, Joseph. Good. And if my Jewish name was Saul, what would my name be in Greek? Paul, yes. Same person, Paul in Greek, Saul in Hebrew, okay? And my subject today is my hero. And Paul is somewhat of a hero. Um, I'm going to give you some background to Paul, which is not recorded in the Bible, okay? I always find it really, really, really helpful to get some background to find out what makes a person tick, the reasons why they do this, that or the other. And so I want to give you a little bit of a background to the person of Paul. Paul was born outside of Judah and Israel in a place called Tarsus. And Tarsus was a university city, okay? It was a city where it was the centre of trade and also the centre of government for that local area. So a really, really important place. Paul's parents were both Jews. And we understand that his father probably had a really, really good job. He was very, very influential in the town. And at some point, he'd obviously done the Romans a big favour. And they had bestowed on him Roman citizenship, which then obviously passed on to Paul as well. So, there we have it. Paul was brought up a Jew... He had a Roman citizenship, but he didn't live in Judah or Israel. Okay. So Paul went to school, as most young people do, and he was taught in the local synagogue. Now, interestingly enough, when he was in the local synagogue being taught by the rabbis, he didn't learn Hebrew. Because the Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures had actually been translated into different languages. And in Tarsus, he was being taught the Hebrew scriptures from Greek. So he was learning very much everything that he knew in Greek. Hence, he was called Paul. But at some, and also, as part of his education, he didn't just learn from 
the Hebrew scriptures. But he was encouraged, no, even more than encouraged, he was actually forced to take up a trade. You had to learn a trade as part of your education. Anybody tell me what the trade they think that Paul might have learnt? Tent making. Yes, he learnt to make tents. And this was something which was going to be of tremendous value to him later on in his life. Okay. So, that's the beginning of Paul. In his teens, Paul moved to the centre of Jewish society. He moved to Judah, to the capital of Jerusalem. And there he trained to be a Pharisee. Pharisees were a sect, if you like, within the Jewish religion. Very, very, very enthusiastic. He was taught under a man called Rabbi Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the grandson of a very famous rabbi called Rabbi Hillel. And 60 years before Jesus Christ was born, Rabbi Hillel taught the people in Jerusalem some very liberal views. But, as always, there's always two sides to a coin. And on the other side, there was another rabbi who was also teaching. And his name was Rabbi Shami. And I'll describe to you just a couple of things that they taught that were at odds with each other. The first was this. Rabbi Hillel taught that divorce was A-OK. In fact, it was so okay that if your wife displeased you in any way, even if she burnt your dinner, you could divorce her. Exceedingly liberal. Rabbi Shammai disagreed with that altogether and said that there should not be divorce. Fortunately, although Paul was taught this from Gamaliel because he carried on his grandfather's traditions, Paul later changed his mind about divorce. So the first point I want to have behind me is that I want to encourage you to be flexible enough to change your views in the light of scripture and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Rabbi Shami had some very strong views about who should be in the temple. When Paul went to the temple, and when most Jews went to the temple, there were Jewish people there, who were worshipping God. But also, they allowed some non-Jews, who were called Gentiles, 
into the temple. Rabbi Shami said that this was not a good thing and that the temple should be for the Jews only. So anybody who wasn't Jewish was outside of a position to worship God. Rabbi Hillel actually encouraged Gentiles to be in the temple. Not only encouraged it, but he advocated that the Jews should go to the Gentiles and talk to them about God and bring them into the temple. In other words, he was, evangel- he was encouraging evangelization. He wanted people to witness about their faith and to bring others into the temple. Something that would be a real help to Paul in later life. Paul was a good student and he soon progressed to sit on some influential Jewish councils still in Jerusalem. And the one thing we can say about Paul was that he was incredibly passionate about his faith and about his God. I don't know about you, but I'd love to have met Paul. I wonder what he looked like. And it is recorded in uh, some historical documents that, in fact, he was short, balding, bow-legged, hook-nosed, and possibly had poor eyesight. But the one thing he had going for him, he was very strong. He had a really, really strong body. Okay? Not Charles Atlas type, but just very, very strong. But some people later on in Paul's life described him as this, as having the face of an angel. What? With a hook nose and everything else? No. It is important that we don't look on the outside, but we see what is on the inside of a person. Not what they look like. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter what you look like. What matters is what comes out of a person that makes them appealing. Point two, please. It's what comes out of a person that makes them appealing. At this point in Paul's life, there seems to be some rumblings going on in Jerusalem. There are a group of people who are saying that the Messiah, the promised chosen one of the Jewish nation, has in fact already come. It was in a person called Jesus. And these people are going around saying that Jesus was the Messiah and that you should put your faith in him. 
one such person who spoke very, very clearly to the Jewish council was Stephen. And Stephen so infuriated the Jews that eventually they couldn't stand his preaching and speaking any longer and they pulled him out and they stoned him to death. While he was being stoned, Paul stood there witnessing it and no doubt encouraging those who were around him who were actually doing this deed. So much so that they laid their coats at his feet whilst they were doing that deed. He was identifying himself with the people who were doing the stoning to kill Stephen, to hopefully bring an end to this terrible thing that was happening. The fact that people were actually saying that the promised Messiah had come. And so Paul, in all his passion and zealous attitude, undertook the role of persecuting and imprisoning as many of these followers of Jesus as possible. In years gone by, when there had been persecution of, in fact, some of the Jews, there had been a city called Damascus where they had fled to because it wasn't under Judah's jurisdiction. And there they found a safe haven. And undoubtedly, some of the followers of Jesus recognised this fact and thought to themselves, hey, I don't want to go to prison yet. I'm going to flee and I'm going to take my family to Damascus. And many of them would have fled there. But Paul learned of this and he was determined to go there and arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. And this is the story of what happened when he was on his way to Damascus. It's in Acts chapter 9, if you would like to follow it, beginning at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priests and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what the early Christians were called, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. 
The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, you can imagine the trepidation in Ananias' voice now. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went to the house and entered it and placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Can I have point three up, please? How we view potential converts is often not how God views them. If you'd looked at Paul and thought to yourself now, who would I really choose to bring into uh, church? Who would I really choose? You know, I think Paul would have been probably the very, very bottom of your list. You'd have been frightened and intimidated by him. And you thought that anybody who possibly persecutes Christians, how could they possibly become uh, a witness and a missionary for God? There was a, a gang leader in New York called Nicky Cruz. He was involved in major gang warfare. Many people were killed in those battles. He abused women. He was foul-mouthed. And yet, God chose him to do amazing things 
in New York upon his conversion. Let's not get into the syndrome of looking at people, judging them and thinking, oh, yeah, they're such a kind, generous person. Oh, they'll be ideal to be a Christian. Let's try and find out what's on God's agenda. Let's read again from Acts chapter 9. And we're going to carry on where we left off. Verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who called on Jesus' name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. It goes on to say that after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Isn't it amazing? Here we have Paul being taught by the very Christians that he had tried to destroy, that he would tried to take prisoner back to Jerusalem. But he was taught by them. It says that he stayed in, there, in, in the synagogue with them, learning from them. But once he learned, because of all his training as a Pharisee, he knew... The scriptures. He knew the Hebrew scriptures like nobody else knew it. And he was able to go back to those scriptures and say, hey, look what it says in our Bible about who the Messiah is. And he started to relate so many things together. And he proved to the people there that Jesus really was the Messiah. Was it a coincidence that God chose him? No way. What we don't read in scripture, but historians tell us, is that after his conversion um, in Damascus, uh, and then his first time in Damascus, between then and the time when they plotted to kill him, Paul probably spent quite a bit of time in that area. And he would have gone from Damascus to the various towns roundabout, again going into the synagogue and sharing this new passion and faith that he had in Jesus Christ. 
So he escapes from Damascus. And where does he go? He goes back to Jerusalem. I want you to try and picture what it must have been like for the apostles who were still in Jerusalem that all of a sudden Paul turns up on their doorstep and he says, I want to talk to you. They were terrified, absolutely terrified, because they still remembered that Paul was the one who was imprisoning all followers of Jesus. But a good man comes to his, Paul's rescue, a man called Barnabas. Barnabas had actually been in Damascus and he had heard what had happened to Paul. And so he shared that with the apostles. And he allayed their fears. And so they listened to Paul. And again, it seems that trouble just goes with him wherever he goes. Because... He needs to leave Jerusalem as well because he's under threat. And so he is sent back to his hometown of Tarsus. And historians would tell us that he possibly stayed there up to 10 years, which is a long while. And he would be evangelising telling everybody that he could about Jesus. And eventually, in Acts chapter 11, we read that something new was about to happen in Paul's life. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people, obviously Greeks, believed And turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus. To look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought Saul to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. News of Paul's determination, hard work, 
and the effects of his teaching were obviously made known to Barnabas. And when Barnabas went to Antioch, to this new Gentile church, the first person that he wanted to be there with him was Paul. It is an incredible fact that Antioch was to be not only a place where Paul stayed for a year, but that he revisited and revisited and revisited. And it was from Antioch that Paul was sent out on each of his three missionary journeys. It was a key city in the life of Paul and in the work that God was doing. Can we read Acts 13, verse 6? It's now talking about Paul and Barnabas, and they travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. Uh, This is the island of Cyprus. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false attendant of the prophet, sorry, false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Next point, please. Let us always be aware, as Paul was aware, that Satan will endeavour and try to destroy the effects of the good news about Jesus Christ. Everywhere Paul visited... He preached to the Jews and the Gentiles, even though his life was in constant danger. He was expelled from another place called Antioch, which was uh, the Pisidian Antioch, not the same one that he'd uh, spent a year at. And then, 
When he preached in Lystra, he was taken out and he was stoned and left for dead. But he wasn't dead. And the next day it says that he went back into Lystra. And he encouraged those who were followers. And after Lystra, Paul went to Derby. Hey! In fact, Paul visited Derby twice. I'm not going to refer to them, but hey, what I'm, one of the things that I'm really hoping uh, will come out of this morning's talk is that you will be encouraged to learn more about Paul. And you'll pick up your Bible and you'll carry on reading through Acts and find out all the amazing things that God did through Paul. And there were many of them. And you will read that when Paul visited Derby, that God really blessed that visit. And he did it twice. And the great thing was, there was never anything negative recorded about Derby. Only the fact that there were real good converts there. And the church grew. Isn't that exciting? God, may it happen in Derby today. When Paul was in Lystra and they stoned him and left him for dead, you wouldn't think that he would ever go back there again. But he did. And I wonder if anybody who knows their Bible really well could tell me that the second time that Paul went there, he met someone of great importance. Can anybody tell me who it was? They actually have a book of the Bible named after them. Might give you a clue. No. It was Timothy. Timothy came from Lystra. Sometimes when we get the kitchen sink and everything else thrown at us, our attitude might be to never go back, never revisit that place, never put ourselves in a position where we'd be vulnerable enough to do, to do that. But hey, when you're in God's plans, when you're doing what God wants you to do, no holds are barred. No holds are barred. So Paul, after he'd been to these places and shared his faith, returned again to Antioch, where he encouraged the church with all that God was doing elsewhere. And he stayed there again for quite a while. And one day, some men from Judea came some good Jewish people who had also been followers or, or who also were followers of Jesus Christ. But they came with some teaching which caused Paul 
a major problem. They taught that when you became a Christian, this is men, that you should be circumcised. Because that was what the law required. Paul and Barnabas strongly disagreed and they argued forcefully their point. But nevertheless, it was causing a split in the church. And so the church leaders sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem for the apostles to make a judgment on this issue. Point five, beware of legalities. Beware of legalities. If you read it in Acts, you will find what happened when they went to Jerusalem, but I'll praise it very quickly because time is gone. What happened was that Peter had already been involved in a situation where God had sent a Gentile to him. And Paul, in a vision, had learned from God how important it was for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be shared with Gentiles and not just Jews. And isn't God good? He'd already prepared Peter for this question. Peter knew the answer. And so when this question came from Paul, Peter was the one who stood up and he said, no, this must not happen because we are now no longer under the law. We are under grace. How often do we in our lives come across this? You know, I must do this and this and this. And, and when I do those things and when I succeed in those things, then my marriage is really going to be a strong marriage and it will be very successful. Or if I do this, this and this, then my job will be more fulfilling. Or if I do this and this and this, then God will be happier with me. How often has that scenario come into your mind? No. No way. Get it out of your mind because it's my motives that count. It's my love for Jesus. You know, the greatest commandment Jesus told us was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. Didn't give us a whole load of rules that we had to obey. Just love. Just love. Just love. With everything that you've got. That's the main motivation. 
and I'm seeing that my time is gone. The other point that I want you to take away with you, if you would please, is this. Can I have point six up? If you value being popular, then don't be a witness for Jesus. If you want to be liked by everybody, don't witness for Jesus. You look at Paul's life. Hey, I'm sure many people did like him. But the point was that his motivation in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ was because he wanted people to understand the love that he had experienced. He wanted them to be motivated by the same things that motivated him. He wanted them to know the peace and the joy and the fulfilment of knowing Jesus Christ. I thought it was amazing that what happened during our time of worship was was the theme one of the themes that I was actually thinking of for this morning. And I want to encourage you so much that this week that we would really Look at what it costs to be a witness for Jesus Christ and count that cost as something that we're willingly give up. Okay? We'll pay the price, whatever it costs, in order that we can share the thing that is most precious to us that of knowing salvation and of having a personal relationship with a living God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would go with us, each one, during this coming week. And that we would be on fire for you. That your Holy Spirit would give us many opportunities of just sharing our faith. Of showing our love for those around us. Lord, help us not to judge those around us. Lord, not to see with our eyes but only to see with your eyes that indeed, Lord God, we would honour you and we would worship you with our whole being. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Come along on any Sunday morning.